He was one of the most successful track sprinters of his generation, earning three Olympic medals for Germany during his career. But since retiring at the end of 2021 season, he's turned his talents to coaching his nation's young stars. Sit back and enjoy our chat with Maximilian Levy. All right, Max Levy, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you. How are you? You know, not bad, not bad, but uh, I understand you're gracing our presence uh, during a vacation. What have you been up to recently and where you are? Where are you right now? Um, I'm now a junior national coach uh, for the Cycling Federation of Germany. And I was in a training camp the last week and we finished this with the six-day Berlin. And I also had one lap of honor for myself because I finished my career one year ago. And so now I took a few days off with my little uh, kids, yeah. And uh, you went a little bit north of uh, Berlin, right? Just for a few days and then back to business. What's next on your work agenda? Well, the next step is uh, another training camp. I'm coached for the under 19, which is we call juniors, and also uh, under 17 riders. And uh, I have 12 juniors and 16 under 17 riders. And uh, I meet them on saturday or sunday again in frankfurt Oder, which is our yeah our home track i would say because we mostly train there and we have a good gym and everything is pretty easy to go on the track and for them it's really important to go on the track in the winter time wow well um listen i know jens's introduction to cycling was through the german sports school and to this day i still have like this mental picture of himself and Zabel and Ulrich and the whole crew kind of like living in these little rooms side by side with like minimal heat, minimal food. I'm sure that wasn't exactly the case, but you know, you're 16 younger, 16 years younger than, than both of us. Perhaps things were a little bit different. Hopefully they were, but tell us now that you're working with juniors, what was your introduction to track cycling like back then? Well, I'm, um... I started uh, cycling at the same club like Jensi in uh, Berliner TSC. And so I was uh, living in Berlin at the end of 90s. And right at 1997, the velodrome in Berlin was built. And so it was, yeah, just a really good chance to, to go there because in the middle of Berlin, it was pretty hard to go for safe cycling at this years. Uh, we don't wear helmets and nobody really cares for for cyclists. So my parents were pretty happy that I can go to a velodrome. And this is how it started to go on the track. And I also did some road rides and later, and uh, when the hills got into the road races, <laughs> the coaches said, hey, maybe you are a better sprinter. So they introduced me to track cycling and that's uh, where I stayed for almost 20 years. So already as a child, you were a pretty strong, strong boy with big muscles, big legs, right? Well, uh, I think I was just normal and uh, I was right from the beginning in the track points race and you don't start as a sprinter with an uh, under 13 years old, but uh, you start to do points race, tempo race, elimination races and all this worked out pretty nice. And on the road, I also won some, some road race, but only if they are pan flat, which was no problem in Berlin. But uh, later when we come to, to bigger races and stage races like uh, Thüringen Tour, uh, then I got dropped too early. And so then there was uh, one really 
funny situation when uh, Roger Kluge, he was a sprinter too in under 17 and he was already second year of under 17 and I was first year and he was a sprinter and I was a road rider but uh, we had a road race near to Cottbus which I won in a sprint against him and so the sprint coach said um, maybe you should go to track cycling and that's when we had one year together until Roger went back to the road cycling. So this was uh, my step into track cycling finally yeah, for being a sprinter. And um, <clears throat> so uh, track cycling then it was all these years. Um, maybe tell us a little about the differences you had to do in, in training for our listeners. They don't know too much about track cycling. Like I used to train five hours, six hours, maybe some intervals in the middle, but just lots of hours. How was training for you? Well, in the beginning and in the old times, even track sprinters did uh, long road rides. We, we did 150 kilometers in the build-up of the season. We, I also did when I was junior. I was already junior world champion in team sprint and kilometer in the first year. And in the second year, I still did the stage race Cottbus at Tappenfort. Um, because my coach said it's good for my willpower and it's good for endurance and everything. So at this time, it was still cycling. Now, track sprinting is more weightlifting. And uh, I think no nobody of the young boys, they could imagine to do a stage race as a sprinter. Because uh, they, they do less road training and more shorter sessions for uh, like two hours or three hours on the track and two hours in the gym. And uh, it's more about powerlifting and, uh, and they They also need the power now because the gears got bigger and bigger. When when I started to be on top uh, as a man sprinter at like 2010, I I used gears like 52-14. And at the end of my career in Tokyo Games, I even used uh, 66-14, which is about 20 or more inches more. And uh, it's still not the biggest gears. The biggest gears they use now with 60 60 chain ring and 12 sprocket, which is a huge development, more than 10 meters with each uh, turn of your crank. And this is a lot. And so you need uh, a lot more power. Well, I know next to nothing uh, about track cycling, but I used to live at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And many of the other kids that were on my floor were in the sprint and endurance track program. I was not only blown away about the training that you did on the track, but then the road rides and then the gym work, you know, for us roadies, the, the, the sprint program, the endurance track program actually trained more than we did. But that was when weightlifting wasn't quite there, I believe, to the level that you used it as. Where, yeah. What is the main exercises and what is the main focus now when you guys uh, and girls are, are in the gym? Well, the main exercise is doing squats, leg press. You also do some uh, Romanian deadlift and things to develop your body. Because when you need uh, to squat more than 200k, then you need a really strong upper body and a strong core. And uh, as I was old and need some, some new... Some new things uh, I did at the end of my career, I did single leg squat 
which is um yeah better for your leg and also better for your back because if you load too much weight uh, on your back then you get some some problems with slip disc and things like that and um yeah in the end i did 200 kilo with one leg which was pretty much and so i could develop even you know for a sprinter when i started to be a sprinter the the barrier of being under 10 seconds for 200 meter was was huge i was the first european to do the 200 meter below 10 seconds and now if you do a 99 uh, nobody cares for you you are you're not even make the qualifying to the sprint tournament so you need to do 95 96 now and this is all, yeah, you have to work in the gym. And so I did. And in the end, the Tokyo Games, I did a 9.6, which was my personal best for sea level. And um, yeah, that's why I had to lift so much weight. All righty. Now, I want to hear some impressive numbers for our listeners. At your best, what was the size of your upper leg? The diameter? One. Second, what was the fastest speed you ever recorded on the track? And third, what was the biggest weight you ever pushed in the in the leg press, for example? I didn't do leg press because I focused on the squats and it was getting uh, so intensive in the end with the single leg uh, squat that I only did this. So this was my best with 200 kilos, doing it with one leg. Um, for the fastest speed I ever recorded on doing on myself, so not motor-paced, was 80.2 kilometers, which was in Tokyo just uh, before the games. And uh, I, I never measured so much in my, my legs, but I think it was uh, almost 270 centimeters. It, just to keep your listeners uh, um, informed, I measured mine like 10 minutes ago. It was 52 or 53. <laughs> so we missed 20 <laughs> centimeters. Just to put it in perspective, I am impressed. So I have a question just because I, I am so uninformed with, with track racing. There, there's a lot of different events on, on the track, but from your career what what were they and can you give us a, a little bit of a, a definition of those you know th from when you were a junior until um retiring just last year like what obviously you focused as a sprinter but like what are some of the other one events that your young juniors are are doing now yeah it's uh, we call it sprinter but in total it's the real sprint it's uh kieran it's the kilometer 1000 meter time trial and uh, as well the team sprint and everybody is focused now on team sprint which is with three riders doing a standing start one pulls off every lap and after three lap you count the time and the fastest team wins and uh, this is the the easiest way if we can call it easy to qualify for olympics because if you qualify as a nation the team sprint you get two spots for individual sprint and kieran so everybody's now looking for qualified their team sprint, which is the main event. And then you have the sprints. Um, sprint is easy. It's uh, two riders and the first one after three laps wins. And then we have the Kieran, which is also at the part of Olympic Games. You go a sprint with six riders. You have a Derny, a little motorbike, which is um, getting the speed high to 55 kilometers an hour and then drops off the track and then you have three laps with six six tigers 
who wants to be in front at the end, <laughs> which is pretty insane. And then the most painful thing is the kilometer time trial. And UCI said it's not enough. We need this at the World Championship to do twice. So you have like an individual pursuit. You have in the morning the qualification. And the top eight go for another kilo in the evening, which is... I never did this. Since this is the rule, I said I never will go for a kilo again because it hurts too much. And, you know, if you are the first in the qualification, okay, then you can win something. But if you are eight placed and you are... You know, you're not going to medal. You just do it again and you get eight again. It's, it sucks. I, I never would do this. So these are the four, four sprinting disciplines. If you call it a sprinter, then a sprinter normally start to do all those four things. So then I guess the next logic question is, what was your favorite event of it and, and why? Well, in the beginning, it was the kilo because I was pretty good coming from the road. I was uh, two times junior world champion in the kilo. And at this time, uh, kilo was still part of the Olympic program. But after 2005 or six, uh, UCI said uh, it's not going to be part anymore. So um, then I refocused to do the Kirin because this is also really good for my, yeah, for my skills because I can, I can do a long sprint and um, I'm more, you know, <laughs> My old coach in Cottbus said I would have been a good pursuit guy because I'm not really super fast, but I can go really long and really hard. Um, yeah, so and, and I tried to focus mainly on all three disciplines. It was the sprint. I was uh, fourth placed in the Beijing Olympic Games in the sprint. And uh, after 2009, I got world champion in the Kirin and Team Sprint, uh, we got world champion in 2010. So every year, different discipline. And so in, in total, I focused on all three and made uh, international medals at Euros or world championships in, in all three events. And I think that the biggest success was Kieran world champion and got uh, Olympic silver in London 2012. Also, I made another final in Tokyo Games and won, I'm, I'm not sure, five or six uh, world championship medals and three European titles, which was, yeah, uh, was a big success. So I think I'm, I'm most, mostly known as a Kieran rider. Well, let's talk about that Olympic silver, silver medal back in 2012. Um, I, I wa watched that and I went back and watched it again uh, recently. And I mean, it looked like you did everything right. And to your point... You know, you were going from a very long way, you know, with one and a half laps to go. And it looked like you had everything in the bag. And then Sir Chris Hoy just found another gear coming out of that last turn. So what were your memories of that event? And in, in hindsight, would you have changed anything? Because what I saw was 100% effort and just happened to get beat. But I don't know anything about the tactics of the Kieran. So yeah, basically you're right. Uh, I did everything right and everything what I have to do. And uh, I was shocked as well because I was almost past. And then in recent years, in, at the 90s, you could have uh, moved inside and then he would have been out of the race. But uh, in the 2000, UCI makes stronger rules, which is okay. I respect those rules. And so I was just past, but my back wheel wasn't 
past the front wheel, so I couldn't close the door, like we say. And um, yeah, I tried to stay fair, and so I let the gap open. But uh, still, I was shocked that he came back in on the inside again. And like you said, there was nothing else I could do. And uh, everybody respected that I, at least I tried as hard as I could. Um, but if you watch the video, it's still hard to believe um, that this happened. But yeah, it is what it is. And uh, on, on this moment, I just have to be uh, satisfied with the silver medal. So, and when you say um, you had so much success on the track in the sprints, um, often when people get older, they got more endurance, but less explosive power. Did you ever consider to do the endurance events, go back to scratch or points racing on the track, or there was never an option for you? Well, at the London Games, um, I spoke a lot with Andre Greipel, and uh, he said, oh, you look uh, really skinny because I had to lose uh, some weight for following our starter. He was the strongest starter, Rennie Henders, strongest starter of the world. And uh, I'm, I'm not a really good starter. And so I had to, to drop some weight to follow him. And he said, uh, okay, you look so skinny. You can come to, to the road cycling and try. Like Theo Boss did the same after the games from Beijing. But yeah, if you are successful and you, you, you have your place in your area, then uh, it's a real big step to go somewhere else. And uh, honestly, I said, okay, I could become uh, like an okay sprinter on the road, but I'm already too old. If, if you turn onto the road with 26, then you have so many young riders, 20 years old, which have more potential than I would have because I need to learn for minimal two years to at least follow. And, and I, you remember what I said in the beginning when there are some hills out of Cottbus, out of Berlin, and then I get big problems. And so I, I really thought about it, but I never did it really. And so I think it was also the right decision because I was still speaking with uh, Roger Kluger. He's also from Cottbus and uh, we trained together a lot of times. But if you ride with him, then you see um, it's a big more, a bigger step. And it's not that easy to go there just to say I'm a good uh, track sprinter with some road skills, but it's not enough. So did you ever participate in the Kirin races over in Japan? No, I was invited, uh, I think, four times, but it was always not, uh, yeah, in a good time of my life. I was one day, um, one of my children was born. The other day I wanted to finish my education the other time it was um, Olympic Games, only one year. Uh, so I never showed up there. And I think they didn't invite me for a fifth time, um, which is an experience I, I really would love to have. But um, yeah, in fact, it was, it was never possible. Well, maybe you haven't been there, but I'm sure you've heard the stories. And I just have to ask you a question because I've heard of, heard of this, but... Just quite curious, is it true that because there's betting on the line for, during the Kieran races that the riders are actually quarantined away from the public for the whole time that you're there? And not the whole time, but um, I think if it's a race weekend, then you go like Thursday, you go to the velodrome and you have to drop off every electronic things and you just come back at Monday after the race and then you get your stuff back. So it's like a Kieran school. 
and uh, it's like <laughs> the good old uh, East German times, like in the boarding house, um, everybody is, uh, yeah, next to each other, and um, it's no not really comfortable. But uh, this is how they make sure you don't con get contact to the outside. But I also heard some stories that like uh, <laughs> they, when when the riders got to the track. Then they showed some numbers or some, uh, if, if I bring my head to the left, then I go from the front early. If I go to the right, then I go a bit later. Um, there are some, some stories. I don't, I don't know what really happened because it was in the nineties and there I was too young for that. But, um, I think everybody tried to participate a little bit on the betting. Yeah, I think a uh, famous uh, German, East German sprinter actually did get sent home, but we don't want to get too much into it. But I guess, yeah, hey, if I just touch my, my ears, I might be second. If I touch both ears at the same time, I might be winning. But who knows? Yeah. It's all rumors. Let's not go deeper into that. Hey, um, <laughs> That's what I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was sure that we both thought the same hey um maybe not a highlight of your career but definitely an interesting point we talked about participating in road racing and uh, changing careers you have a participation you started the olympic road race in the in olympic at the olympics 216 rio de janeiro correct so please tell our listeners how did that happen why and and what was your idea of all that or what was what was your thinking of that well um for the olympic games it was pretty hard to to get the spots and uh, germany qualified a team sprint but you're not allowed to bring another sprinter and as i was um didn't qualify for the team sprint because coach said uh, you are only like a reserve rider but he wants me to ride the kirin um the federation was thinking about a different way um, I think the French did already in, in London games with uh, Miguel Bogong. He did the same. He did start the road race. And so they they were thinking about the chances on the road race, if they are bigger than getting a medal on the track in the Kirin. And so they said, okay, maybe the course is too hilly. It, it was really a hard course. And we don't have a really good rider as only, I think, Emo Buchmann was the only one um, was a real mountain rider to go there and uh, so they said okay we skip one one place from the road race for a track sprinter and this was me um so yeah in in the end they they get uh, me to the road team to get me to the games and then uh, in total it didn't pay it off for getting a medal but uh, at least i had the situation that i had to ride the team sprint because one of the riders got sick and so at least a little bit it paid off um, and for me it was a great experience and I think it was the only sprinter who could imagine doing a road race um, and I was uh, even continuing the race longer than Tom Dumoulin I think he was uh, broken he had a broken wrist from the Tour de France and he was um, focused on the time trial and it was the same with Tony Martin and so he, he guided me to the to the start line and I think we were both the only riders with an accreditation in our back because we knew we had to drop off the race early <laughs> and go home and get back to the village so that was uh, a little bit strange yeah. so in that year you did four Olympic events the team sprint the sprint the road race and the Kieran and the team yeah yeah you're right four wow. events. 
That is crazy. That that is insane. But kind of kind of leads into my next question. You know, let's face it. Track sprinters are like gladiators on bicycles. I mean, you guys are big. Road racing is all about power to weight ratio. And unfortunately, it seems like both men and women seem to take that to the limit quite, quite often. Um, I'm interested yes. to hear about a track sprinter's nutritional plan, or I won't even say diet because I hope you guys don't have to diet because you have, you're training so much in the weight room, on the road, on the track. What, what is it? Um, what is that nutritional program look like for, for a track sprinter? Well, then, in fact, this has also got uh, yeah big and huge in the last years. Uh, when when I, we were at the end of 2010, nobody really cared what a sprinter will eat. And uh, track sprinting is not that professional as road cycling, which is also pretty good because you can still have a normal life. You are not uh, only a computer and everybody asks you for how much you eat, how much you weigh today, how was your heart rate and how long did you ride? And why the fuck you didn't ride faster? So um, the sprinter is a little bit hard because everything is skipped on times if you're on the track. So if your coach has a good finger, then you have a good day. If you if he has a bad day because he's tired, then you have a bad day too. And so this is the main fact and not really the nutrition. But uh, in total, now I think uh, it's important to eat a lot of protein. To get your muscle grow, um, you use some uh, creatine that uh, will also help you to recover faster so that the muscles get bigger. It's the only plan is to get bigger muscles. Um, but there's only, this is only one side because if you get heavier, then you, you come back to our uh, talk from the beginning with the team sprint. If you get, uh, high, if you get more heavy, then you get a big problem with the standing start. And uh, this is what you have to concern about. And um, it's really important to stay lean, I think, and don't eat uh, too much protein that you get fat in the end. And uh, as, as we drop even more road kilometers, your body um, don't need to work for a little bit of endurance and to get the shit off all the lactic acid needs to get off your body. And uh, if you if you don't do this, then um, it's a little danger that you get too big and too fat and um so in total it's about getting your protein in but not too much um the few events on a track i did or i watched uh, the sprinters there was a lot of stretching going on is that still a thing or in these days you go nah we never stretch anymore ah it's different now nah. it's uh, some says you need to some says yeah they'll do this um i think in we had some a good booster with the black roll thing that you have some facial training to get your muscles yeah, a little bit loose. For me, it was my my muscles are loose all the time. So even if I come off the gym, it's not the big problem. But uh, I know riders, you can't touch their legs after doing uh, some some yeah weightlifting, and this is really really yeah, different to everybody. But um, I. I prefer to have a little stretching and have a good feeling. Also, it gets me my mind. Okay, now this is going to be a training. So now I get some 10 minutes to, to get into it. Max, I got a funny story about Yenzi here. Um, he and I were roommates for years and I was a stretcher. You know, I did my core work. <laughs> I did my ball work. 
And I'd be there doing, you know, 20 minutes every day. And he would be on his bed on his Game Boy. And he, I can't tell you the number of times <laughs> he looked down at me on the floor and said, I really need to start doing that. And not once, not once in all those years did I ever see him stretch. That's, uh, that's my, my Yenzi dig for the day. <laughs> you know, I, I was uh, rooming with René Enders, our first starter from, from 2012 games. And uh, he was so lean, he, was, he looked like a little roboter. And uh, I was trying to watch my diet to get some weight off and everything. And he was just eating chocolate, burgers, everything. And next day he stand in the mirror and said, oh, yeah, watch me. I don't need to do this shit. I can eat whatever I want. And I was like, come on, right. So uh, he, he never cared about uh, any protein or anything his body would maybe need. He just eat whatever he wants to. And he was looking so lean and he was so strong. That's also, yeah, one, one body who, who don't need anything. Same like Yenzi. Well, leaves us to the question if Reni Anders or me would have done more stretching, maybe we would have been better. Maybe Reni oh. Anders would have been triple world champion or who knows? Maybe not. Maybe it would have ruined him because for me, my head was just not ready to do all that stretching. I'm like, nah, yeah, I need rest and, in and my head. It was also Rene, what Rene said, hey, we need to stay human. So uh, he always said the day before rest, he'd eat a McDonald's burger just to say, hey, I'm just a little fucking human and uh, I can do faster even I eat a burger. And so uh, he, he always eat one burger and next day he did world record and all the people were like, come on. But he said, yeah, it's for my brain. I need this. Jeez. I did have a hamburger, a McDonald's hamburger before the, uh, the Olympic time trial in 2004. And when I came back to the table, all my teammates were just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's for my head. And I, uh, I felt good after that. Max, you, in Germany, you guys have a lot of sprinters, really, really top-notch sprinters, and you've competed around the world. Who's the fiercest competitor that used to keep you up at night and maybe even make you wake up early in the morning to put in those hard yards of training? Well, it was the British riders. They kicked our ass at the Olympic Games. I participate. And uh, once we had the chance to beat them was uh, at the London Games and the team sprint. We were record, world record holders. And so there was a really good chance. But uh, unfortunately, um, Stefan Imke, our man three, he needed to drop off just one hour before the race. And so we had to change uh, our lineup. Um, we still managed to finish a bronze medal. But uh, we wanted the gold, and I think on this one day it would have been possible. And uh, so for many years we tried to beat the British because they, they never get world champion, but they always got the Olympic champion. And that's what, what we wanted to change because we were world champions, but we never got the Olympic champion. Um, and yeah, for sure the, the race against Chris Hoy was planned um, for many, many years. And um, so it was at the first years of my elite career it was really the guy to go for and um, later it was also the the french riders um and in fact uh, riders like jason kenny he got now i think six or seven olympic titles and uh, he's my age so uh, we meet uh, us often and 
once I crashed because of him and broke my collarbone. So it's, it's if you're right against him and there's always a lot of business. And we'll be right back after this short break. Um, talking about business now that your career has stopped, what is your business nowadays? What do you do during your normal day, normal life uh, these days? Yeah, normal life. That's <laughs> something I don't know. Um, I'm now a junior national coach for track sprinting at the German Cycling Federation. Um, they asked me if I want to get something back from my uh, ex uh, experience. And uh, that's what I like. But still, it's a lot of traveling, and now it's more organizing than riding. And now I, I, I'm just doing it for 16 months now. Um, it's still a lot of things to learn because, um, yeah, I, I was as a rider, I thought, oh, why this and this happened? Why the federation couldn't do better here, and they could have treated us better there? And now, as a coach, you see the limits, and you, you just understand now. Wow. Um, there's just nothing they can do because it's not enough money in the system to have a good hotel room or have a good food. Sometimes you just go and all on a big training center in Frankfurt and the food is so worse that nobody would ever believe you. They, they, they're going to get you this after a really hard training and they get you some Kohlroulade and uh, you think like, come on, this is impossible. Um, but now I understand um, a lot of things. But I think the the most important thing is um, I can I can teach riders how to win races. You know, uh, it's still a little, lot to learn for me for um, theoretics, for how many time you need to recover and how is your your body, how is every muscle muscle named. This is something I I work on it to learn this as fast as I can. But I I have the sensations to to get you know how to prepare to win a race. And I think this is the main fact. And um, that's what also makes fun for me to get my experience, to help the guys, um, yeah, to do good races. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you about a little bit of your experience right now. USA Cycling has recently announced a new track talent ID program. Uh, Brendan Quirk, who has been on our podcast before said, our goal with Search for Speed is to go into the local Los Angeles communities and introduce them to the wonders of track cycling and in particular sprint track cycling. We're looking for kids who are exceptional athletes in more traditional sports like football, basketball, soccer, and get them exposed to bike racing. We have an incredible facility at the Velo Sports Center Velodrome, and we want to see that next generation of kids racing on the track and potentially at the Olympic Games. So you were a junior, you've come through your entire career. Now you're coaching kind of a, a talent ID program because that's kind of what coaching juniors really is. What yeah. do you think about this project? And what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that they have to think about in order for this project to be successful? Well, first of all, it's a really nice velodrome. It's the to the Home Depot Center, and I got world champion 2004, which was uh, the first junior world championship um, for me. Um, in fact, it's the, the biggest deal is um, to get people to know what are you doing as a track cyclist, because uh, they all know Tour de France. In America, I think they know Lance Armstrong, 
Okay, so you want to be with him in, in one place. I'm, I'm not sure how, how Americans think about, but uh, in, in fact, you need to get track cycling more famous. Um, in Germ uh, Not even in Germany, but also in Europe, they dreamed of doing a six-day event at the Madison Square Garden because the name Madison is coming from there. And uh, we all hope that this is going to happen one day because then you can show the world this is track cycling. Um, many of them don't know. But uh, for Americans, I think that the main challenger is um, that America is so big. And uh, if you say you, you make um, a trial to get all the best of the country, um, to look what, what you have, it's, it's a long, long way to get them all to one place. You know, in Germany, you get to your car, you drive five or six hours, okay. But in America, you have like 2,000 kilometers in between. And this is a really big challenge, I think, to, to get a real program. Um, I think the best you can do is Colorado Springs because it's in the middle of the country and you have the altitude, you have a really good velodrome. I was there for, I think, four times for an altitude camp. And that's where I would start it. And then I can say, okay, make another satellite to go to Los Angeles and have um, maybe two teams. Because if you have two teams, then they try to beat each other. And uh, so things develop faster. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Hey, um, your training center is around uh, the track in Frankfurt Oder, right? I remember when the track was brand new. Is it still that fearsome, fast and steep and slippery? Because I remember when we did the medicine on it, the guy that is resting didn't stay above the blue line, but went down yes. to the bottom because in order to stay above the blue line, you would almost have to re go race speed so you wouldn't slip down. Is that track still that scary? Because I have just nightmares when I look back at it. Is it still the same today? And also the track was 285 meters, which took longer than the medicine to get your partner again. No, uh, they rebuilt this track. Because it was built for Seoul Olympic Games, I think 88. And they rebuilt the track in 2013 to make it the 250 meters, which is UCI, the national standard tracks, um, that we can train on a yeah, usual track, that we are also uh, going for it. But uh, for me, the track is, is really nice. It's a good facility, but the track is too easy. It's, you can go there now. Like, I remember the old track having nightmares before we go to winterbahn races. And now you can go with uh, your, your eyes shut down uh, because it's too easy. And then you come to a different track, which is harder to ride on. Then uh, you really look down and you think like, oh, oh, fuck, this is too steep. So now it's really easy if you want to come. <laughs> you can come next week to our under-17 camp and uh, you can go with no, no eyes. Jeez. I'm so glad. Well, like all disciplines in cycling right now, uh, technology and innovation are a huge part of the sport. You've probably seen quite a few of these technological advance, inventions and innovations, but where do you think the best performance game gains have come from and maybe which ones don't you like? Well, um, I'm, I'm not a fan of UCI changing rules every year. Um, so now they have uh, also a new rule for time trial bikes. Um, and they they bring riders into three steps. If you are one meter 80 tall, 185 or 190, 
Uh, nobody really uh, see what's going on there. And this is since my whole career at UCI make different rules and you never understand what, what they are doing. They don't even understand. And then you come, uh, I had this as a rider and now as a coach as well, you go to an international race and then the UCI come and say, ah, your bike is not, not provided in the right condition. You have to change. Next day you come back with the old bike and then it works. And then you go to the next event and then it doesn't work again. And that's ridiculous. Um, I think the, the technology of the bikes um, is still making some, some major steps. They had the rule with three to one. Now they took it off again. And I think that the bikes, we are really happy that we have FES bikes, which is a company from Germany and German state. Um, I think they, they all did the really big step in the time from 2015 to 2020. But now UCI rules are so strict that uh, you can't really have big gains there. But I think the bikes are really, uh, for a track sprinter, it's important the bike is stiff and uh, light as well. And now they have carbon bikes uh, with 6.8 kilos and still stiff, uh, which was not possible before. So I think this is the, the biggest gain in the, in the last uh, decade of 10 years. Talking about material, every whatever few years we see a sprinter ripping off the handlebar did you ever see that did it ever happen to you that you broke your handlebar just because of sheer power no that never happened because um normally if you if if your material is in okay condition it shouldn't happen um what happened to myself was a blown tire um, when i had a sprint behind the motorbike and I crashed pretty hard and broke my collarbone and uh, ripped off a lot of skin. Um, but uh, I I know what you mean. Like in the Australian team pursuit at the Olympics, it's a lot of uh, things happening in the 3D printer. And uh, the, the speed is getting higher and higher. And I'm not sure how long this will, will work. Um, basically, I'm, I'm happy that FES does a good job, when, which is... I feel safe on the bike, but I know uh, different brands um, they just do some, some little plastic shift and uh, they, they don't really imagine that you go almost 80 kilometers an hour and you do a turn left, um, pretty hard turn left uh, in only 40 or 50 meters. Uh, so that the pressure on tires, stamps and saddles is, is really, really high. Even in the team pursuit, they ride now uh, almost 70 K, which is crazy. I can't believe it's taken me this long to get to this question because I probably should have asked this like right off the start. But you guys probably train with power meters, correct? On the during your sprint workouts. Yes. What what is your Pmax? What is your what was your best ever wattage that you could produce on one full pedal stroke? Uh, two thousand two hundred thirty-two watts, which is um which is a lot, but they are now riders doing like 2,600. Um, like I said before, I'm, I'm not really the fastest twitch muscle guy. Um, so they are riders, they have even more fast twitch muscles and uh, can do like squatting 250 kilos and they can produce like 2,500, 2,600 watts. And with that power... So for a split second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but with that power... 
Are you ever bending chain rings or having issues with cranks? Yeah, you have the problem with the sprocket turnover, the the rear wheel, the the, the hub uh, was broken, and then it feels like the chain broke off and you hit your face pretty hard on the track or on your handlebar. Depends on how lucky you are. Um, this is a, a major problem um, if you change the sprockets too often. So that's why as a good track sprinter, you have a set of wheels with um, uh, one side for warming up gear, other side for a training gear. And then one, when you want to change, you just use a different rear wheel because if you take off the sprocket too often, then uh, this is going to happen very fast and you don't want to see this. That also happened to me. I think every track sprinter um, had this experience at least once. Uh, that you that you take your hub off and um, yeah, it, it's incredible power what works then. Another uh, problem there with the power you guys produce seem to be uh, the pedals and the connection. Uh, sometimes you would use click pedals plus have an extra strap around it. What is the latest technology there? How how do you guys secure that you wouldn't slip out because of all the power you put onto the pedals? Well, it's basically it's. <laughs> The most important if you work with juniors, um, tell them to change the cleats. Sometimes it helps um, because uh, riders just forget to change cleats and if they walk around and they get old. Um, you have a strap uh, which is like the belt from your car and uh, you can put this onto your crank and um, then it's, it's just for a good feeling. Uh, if you are old like me, you, you need the feeling that there's something strapped. But uh, to be honest, if you have good Shimano pedals, I don't want to make commercials for them, but those are the ones which work even without a strap. Um, but there's another um, big thing. This is the shoe. If you have an, just a normal shoe and you 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 don't you only push, that's one thing. But you also lift your leg up really hard, and then uh, the the garments and the material is not stiff. So that's why. Also, you put a strap on it to uh, to make sure your feet is really your feet are really um, tight to the pedal, and your shoe couldn't even hold it. So basically, it's not on the pedals; it's more on the shoe. Max, we are so happy that we had you as a guest tonight. You widened our horizon. We did learn yeah. a lot of things we never knew before. So I hope for our listeners as well. We will give you some well-deserved rest now for your own kids before the next week you go back to look after other kids. Max, once again, a million thanks to you for being our guest tonight. Thank you very much. It was really nice to be part of this. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Max Levy for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. <laughs>